You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Dune Part 2, which came out in 2024 and was directed by Denis Villeneuve. It stars Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Dave Bautista, Leia Sadu, Stellan Skarsgård, it's a big cast, Charlotte Rampling, Sohela Yacoub, and Christopher Walken. The genre would be sci-fi epic. Okay. I'm here. I'm here. It's been a while since you've had one of those nightmares. Tell me, what was it about? only fragments nothing's clear I see possible futures all at once and in so many futures our enemies prevail but I do see a way there is a narrow way through I want you to know I will love you as long as I breathe you will never lose me Consider what you're about to do, Paul Atreides. This prophecy is how they enslave us! Yeah, I'm sorry to further weaken the online discourse by picking the lowest hanging fruit, because pretty much all these franchises are now in conversation with each other. But leaving the theater watching this, feeling fully energized, my first thoughts did go to Star Wars. Because simply put, this is the sci-fi franchise sequel that The Last Jedi was proclaimed to be. Denis Villeneuve has directed a massive science fiction epic with all the necessary trimmings, spectacle, humor, intrigue, romance, tension, applause moments, and a willingness to challenge his audience by presenting flawed characters who cannot be easily boxed into simple tropes. He pulls off what I have been told again and again over the past six years, what Ryan Johnson was both unfairly vilified and praised for when he directed Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. I believe the official quote, the official phrase was subverting expectations. Yeah, I know. It's such a cliche at this point, but wow, I had issues with The Last Jedi, and I didn't hate it. But talk about a movie which bends over backwards to reassure its core audience in the last half hour that, quote, everything will be okay. We have everything we need. My opinion, I know. With Dune Part 2, though, Villeneuve takes the story in tricky directions in a more organic manner and also shows the courage of his convictions all the way to the very last shot. It's glorious, thoughtful mass entertainment, and sadly, I'm sure that it will still gross a fraction of what The Last Jedi did. 
because this movie is heady, it's dense, it's 100% sincere, and it positively fills that 165-minute runtime so well that I was indeed wanting even more when the credits started to roll. Chalamet. He continues to impress me more and more. And this is coming from someone who was not dazzled by his performance in part one. Now, to be fair, that was actually before I actually saw him in previous episode, Call Me By Your Name. Hadn't seen that before. And then I started to really buy the Chalamet hype. He pulls off the action well. He pulls off the emotion well. And his Paul Atreides slash Muad'Dib slash, quote, desert mouse, got so many names, does go through a convincing and satisfying arc in this second chapter. Now, do I think, as just one nitpick, that he is the most convincing yeller? We gave them something to hope for. That's not hope! Which his character does a few times unexpectedly for effect here. It's possibly the weakest part of his performance, but that's a minor criticism. And it kind of jibes with the character's background. Your blood comes from dukes and great houses. We don't have that here. Here, we're equal. Men and women alike. What we do, we do for the benefit of all. Well, I'd very much like to be equal to you. Maybe you could be Fremen. Maybe I'll show you the way. Zendaya. She is equally impressive as Chani, the Freeman fighter with the most skepticism while also forging a touching romance with Paul. And make no mistake here, she is the co-lead and very much becomes the heart of this movie. Yes, undoubtedly, like the Chalamaniac, just a nickname I have for him, she's been overexposed quite a bit. But I've yet to see this actress deliver a less than convincing performance, even when working with the likes of Sam Levinson. Zendaya also handles the action well, along with the borderline thankless lectures that her character has to give throughout the movie. Because like Diane Venora in Heat, one of my favorite movies, her character is still both compelling and necessary for a story like this. I may be stoned on grass and Prozac, but you've been walking through our life dead. The rest of the cast also does well, with the standouts being Rebecca Ferguson reprising her role as Lady Jessica, who is Paul's mother, still a member of the Bene Gesserit, and is also asked to now use her skills to become the high priestess for this Freeman tribe. She's returning from part one. And also a newcomer to the franchise, Austin Butler, who played Elvis just a couple years ago, playing the homicidal Fade Rautha Harkonnen. <laughs> I think that's his last name. Yeah, he's the standout villain here. <laughs> humiliated our family. You humiliated me. Kiss. Or die. Where are you now? Butler's cracked performance, where apparently he is trying to appropriate the same type of accent that his on-screen father, played by Skelm Skarsgård, has, and doing it pretty well. His performance is also certainly helped by fantastic makeup and the startling color grade which is used to introduce his character. But yeah, he fills out that metallic diaper left over from Sting, who played the same character in the 84 Dune more than adequately, and even without an actual metallic diaper this time. Butler provides a very menacing presence during the second half of the movie, and a strong villainous counterpart to Paul. May thy knife chip and shatter. May thy knife chip and shatter. (laughs) 
And back to Ferguson. She also provides more menace than I would have expected. Well, at least for someone who has not read Herbert's original novel, which I haven't. Her character is also saddled with a bizarre running trait. Let's just say, to not spoil things too much, it's kind of an ongoing dialogue with someone else. I'll leave it at that. And this could come off easily as very silly in the wrong hands. But Ferguson really pulls this off. In many ways, Jessica becomes the most complex character here, and I found her story very compelling, even though it did feel a bit repetitive at points, though through no fault of her own. For the most part, Villeneuve, with co-writer John Spates, has crafted an engaging, well-structured screenplay. There are a couple of points where new characters are inserted and or reintroduced in a slightly clunky manner, but much more often than not, everyone is just wound together tightly. The bottom line is that this is just one hell of a ride. Also, of course, I didn't even mention them. The action sequences really work, and there's a variety of them, too. I just love the opening action sequence, which really, on the surface, is pretty straightforward, but makes such inventive use of gravity. <laughs> it's just a really fun, exciting sequence. Everything, of course, really works with tech credits, just excellent across the board. From Greg Frazier returning as DP, and this guy is just on a hot streak. I mean, Rogue One, the creator, the Batman, this guy just knows how to film large-scale action. And of course, my man Hans Zimmer returning again to compose yet another immersive score. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. And speaking of the Zim, he once again delivers another rousing, epic score, utilizing several exotic sounds, often coming from several types of newly crafted instruments, at least instruments he crafted for the first Dune. All of it is punctuated with female vocals chanting out a unique new language created for just this universe. And what results is just an expansive wall of sound, which enhances what we're seeing on screen, but rarely distracts from it. And this time around, I noticed at least a few distinct new themes shining through. They might have even been reprised from the previous movie, but they're more obvious this time. The most notable one, and even one I was actually humming after leaving the theater, it could be referred to simplistically as Paul and Shawnee's love theme, but it actually represents more than that. And it features some gorgeous horns driving it. We hear this over some key sequences throughout the first half as we not only watch Paul and Shawnee bond, but also how he learns the ways of the Freeman. Some of this portion of the movie even drifts into somewhat of a training montage, which I'm always a sucker for. We also then hear this theme reprised towards the end, but in a much more wistful manner. At its peak, this theme can be quite rousing or romantic. The track is called A Time of Quiet Between the Storms.
And now the next category, which is wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, as I alluded to earlier, this is a dense story, as we also meet Christopher Walken playing the Emperor, and Florence Pugh portraying his daughter, Princess Urulin. And they're both strong additions to the cast, even though I probably would have liked a bit more from them, especially Walken. Your father was a weak man. We learn off the bat that his character, the Emperor, has sort of been pulling the strings from the get-go, which is also referenced in part one. And for me, that kind of calls into question as to why we couldn't just see his character in the first movie, as I think it would have laid a bit more groundwork this time around. It just kind of shortchanges his character a bit for context. I still liked what I saw, and if I'm being honest, narration from Pew's Irulan actually does a better job of laying down that context. I just would have preferred a more organic way to utilize these characters by having them there from the get-go. Muad'Dib, the prophet, the one who points the way. These are our own religious patterns, aren't they? This is our doing. Muad'Dib means kangaroo mouse. An unusual warning for a Fremen. What if Polytreides were still alive? Enough! This must not come out. Even to your father's ears, understand? I do, Reverend Mother. This brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Woo! Wow. Even with no shortage of impressive set pieces throughout the movie, I still found myself dazzled the most by one which actually happened to be heavily spoiled in both one of the trailers and the extended IMAX preview, which appeared online. Because seriously, seeing it on the big screen in the first hour of the movie just completely sucked me in. Don't try to impress anyone. You're brave. We all know that. Be simple. Be direct. Nothing fancy. Nothing fancy. Hey, I'm serious. Nothing fancy or you will shame my teaching. I won't shame you. I understand. I'm of course referring to the sequence when Paul rides a sandworm for the first time. This is just a masterclass of scale and tension. Lower. This apparent rite of passage for the natives of Arrakis is just beautifully executed on every level, including sound design, editing, and of course, seamless visual effects. Like the rest of this movie, it just grips you and it leaves a mark. And now the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Over the past decade, Denis Villeneuve has burnished a reputation as one of our most distinct auteurs, delivering medium and or big budget Hollywood films with depth. Now, I have not loved all of his films, but every one of them has had ambition, urgency, and at least a couple of sequences which you could just never forget. I liked, but I did not love his previous Dune film, but mainly for the reason that it felt just a bit incomplete at the end, even though that was kind of the intention with it being a part one. Beyond that, the main protagonist of Paul Atreides is set up in part one as a very tropey, quote, chosen one archetype. He's given some depth, of course, but not being a book reader, which I'm not, 
we kind of think that we can see where this character story is going. And this movie kind of goes there from an overall structural standpoint. But along that ride, the way that characters like Paul, Shawnee, and others around them are explored, it not only feels more authentic, but allows for more complexity. This story explores the very idea of a, quote, messiah, and how treacherous that can be, but never in a ham-fisted manner. Whatever ideas are being explored, they are explored organically through characters and their actions, and more often than not, visually. Because yes, cinema is a visual medium. It's always better to show rather than tell. You hear that, Nolan? <laughs> Sorry. I Look, I really did like Oppenheimer. You could listen to that review, but let's just say that some aspects of it have still left me with a hangover. And I'll just leave it at that. And yes, exploring ideas organically through characters and their actions. Well, I've also found this to be the case with what I consider to be Villeneuve's best films, including Sicario and Arrival. Add to that the fact that this film just looks beautiful, sounds amazing, and never really flags with regards to pacing. You just have the full package here. A thoughtful, entertaining blockbuster. For directing what is definitely among the best franchise blockbusters I have seen in years, Denis Villeneuve is the MVP. For me, sometimes I remove shots and I say, I cannot believe I'm cutting this out. And it's like, a, I, I feel like a samurai with the, uh, uh, opening my gut. And, and I, 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 it's painful. But yes, it is a painful project. But it is my job. I'm, I, the movie prevails. I, I'm a very, I think, uh, uh, severe in the editing room. Uh, uh, I'm not thinking about my ego. I'm thinking about the movie. And my rating for Dune Part 2 would be four and three-quarter stars out of five. Oh, and one more thing. If you've not yet actually seen Dune Part 1, I would highly recommend watching it before you see this. I actually rewatched it during the day in the lead-up to seeing Part 2, and seeing them back-to-back -back actually elevated both films quite a bit. And yes, of course, if you're looking to watch Dune Part 2, it is now playing in theaters and see it on the biggest screen with the best sound possible. I saw it in IMAX, and I will see it again like that. And that ends another subverted review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.